0: Well, good morning from my side, and a massive Happy Father's Day to all the dads. I've got to tell you that it's not an accident that none of my kids were on the screen. Uh, we will protect the guilty and, and uh, maintain a, a posture of innocence. Um, Ezekiel's not yet, he? I think he normally comes to the second service. All right. I was, I was impressed with some of the dance moves that were being uh, portrayed, excepting for Raven. <laughs> Sorry, Raven. Sorry, Raven. I feel like you can do better, eh? Hey? I feel you can do better. Anyway, we are, we are uh, continuing with our series on the book of First Peter, and this is essentially a letter that was written to a group of Christians that were living during an age of persecution. They had been dispersed away from their homeland, away from people that they knew, and they were experiencing a lot of challenges, a lot of uh, persecution. They, they stood out. They were in the minority, and so we've been taking a look at some of the, the very clear messages that have been communicated through this short letter found towards the end of the New Testament, things like how we shouldn't be surprised by suffering, but that we can actually be secure in suffering, how we are called to to being holy, which means to be set apart, to be different, but not different in a way that causes harm and destruction to others, not in a way that is arrogant or self-righteous or or prejudiced, but different in a way that actually brings light and love to other people. Uh, We've also taken a look uh, last week at how in spite of the mess, in fact sometimes because of the mess, that's God's invitation to actually help us mature. So in whatever challenges we're facing, there is an invitation to actually mature in the mess, and today I wanna take a look at an incredibly sensitive, controversial, for in some cases good reason, part of the letter, which is all around the idea of submission. Now before you allow any kind of filter to to pop up over your mind, and before you put your screensaver on, uh, let's let's go to scripture and try and understand what it is that Peter was addressing in its context 2,000 years ago, and how that can and should be applied to us. In our context in 2023. As per uh, our last couple of weeks, I want to pick up where we left off last week, which is in chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, one of the themes throughout the the little letter, this isn't home. We We are supposed to be different, it's okay. To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. The reason I'm, I'm starting off where we left off with this particular passage last week is because what Peter is about to unpack in the passages we're looking at today and next week, and yes, they're all a little... If you've been reading the book of First Peter, you've been looking forward to these parts, because it's like, what is he going to say? Because just at face value, yeah, it's like, it is controversial and provocative, and you'll see why in a few moments but I want you to understand the context that Peter is writing into is he's trying to emphasize again how we are meant to be different set apart and live properly live good lives where where good deeds are actually meant to communicate a lot louder than, than just where there are differences of opinion and disagreement then even if they accuse you of doing wrong they will see your honorable behavior and the result of your honorable behavior will be that they'll give honor To God when he judges the world. So, we're going to now take a look at two examples of this living differently. Living honorably. Next week we'll take a look at the next couple. He goes on, verse 13. For the Lord's sake. This is important, this phrase. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. And if you will say for God's sake, like they're probably often meaning something a little bit different. This is legit, like sincere. For the Lord's sake. I want you to notice these two words, submit and all. Both of these are a little bit tricky in this context. For the Lord's sake, so for God's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. In our context today, so we do live in a primarily, at least in theory, democratic society. Uh, We're not living in the same circumstances that these readers were living in at the time. I, and I cannot overemphasize how much less convenient it was for these Christians. Where, where you had no right. We, we are able to fight for way more rights than what these believers were able to fight for 2,000 years ago, especially in a country like ours. So not in every part of the world, but in a country like ours, the context that we live in, we are able to fight for way more rights, and appropriately so, and that's good. I just want to remind you that in this case, the people that are reading this, because remember, anytime a letter has been written to people that is now recorded in the New Testament, it was written for a reason. It wasn't written just to fill a paper. It was written for a reason. He is writing to people for whom it would be difficult to submit to human authority. So in our context, this might be parents if you are minors, your children, you're living at home. Just so you know, when you become a major, that's different. That's like you now have a responsibility. If mom and dad are still directing your life at 30, you've got a problem. That's a different message, okay? But parents, employers, teachers, police, any civil authority. Now, it also does not require our agreement with everything. Now, if you're anything like me, your first thought is, but what if, what if it's immoral? We'll, we'll get to that, Okay. I also want to point out, by the way, that the person that is writing this letter, Peter, if you're familiar at all with the gospel accounts, you'll know that he was quite a uh, responsive, impulsive, strong character. I want to point out that Peter wasn't thinking like this when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. This same person writing this cut off a man's ear. I don't know if he missed and was aiming for the middle of his head or if he was trying to, like, I mean, sincerely, we don't know. We just know he cut the head off. Unless he was, like, yeah. faking it. Sorry, his ear off. Unless he was, like, faking it and meant to just, like, scare the guys. Like, oh, sorry, I cut your ear off. Like, I, we don't know. But what we do know is that he cut the man's ear off. Yeah. That's a fairly big deal. Yeah. And if I was the man, I'd be in pain. Like, that's not, this isn't good news. Now, if you don't know the story, Jesus put the ear back on and healed the man. How you would still arrest a man that puts your ear back onto your head? That's a different story. But Peter wasn't looking to submit to all authority at that time. And again, we'll take a look in a few moments at when things, when things differ. So we're not, I'm not talking about blind loyalty. We always have to obey God's will above human will. God's way, God's law above human law. And we're fortunate that there are ways for us, in our context, to challenge injustice, to, to challenge destructive policies. There, there are ways for us to do this, but, but, here's the challenge. I think this is the challenge of our generation, certainly in the Western world, that we do those things, we challenge, we hold accountable even protest in some cases, in some cases maybe even civil disobedience, but we do it with honor. Yes. So there's a disagreement, but with honor, and that requires humility, and that requires faith in God. It is all about the heart. Submission is all about the heart. You might have heard this idea of, I'm, I'm sitting down because you told me to sit down, like a kid in school, like I'm sitting down because the teacher told me to sit down, but inside I'm standing up. Yeah. Like you better know. Yeah. I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside. This is actually a heart issue. A couple of examples of where God's law trumps society's laws. In Exodus 1.17, we read that the midwives feared God, so they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live. This was when Pharaoh had issued an edict for all the the Jewish midwives to, to murder every Jewish male that was born. They chose to honor God above basically at the risk of their own lives. There are times where we do this. Hebrews 11 verse 23 gives us an example with regards to Moses. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. So again, they weren't going to murder their son because the king wanted him murdered. Acts 4 verse 18. This is where Peter and John have been caught uh, sharing the message of Jesus, and the religious rulers are not happy about it. So they called the apostles back, this is Acts 4 verse 18, and commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. In fact, in chapter 5 verse 29 of the book of Acts, it says uh, that they replied again, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So there is a time there are absolutely times where you disobey, where you defy a human law or authority, but it's because it is disagreeing with God's law. So when they change the speed limit on marine drive coming from Telview to Millerton from 80 kilometers an hour to 70 kilometers an hour, that's not really a moral law, okay? <laughs> I disagree with it. I think they should have increased it to 100, yeah. not taken it down to 70, and it, and it, and it irks me. And I'm not, and I'm not, and, I'm, and I can't promise you that I stick to the speed limit, but it's the speed limit. Yeah. This isn't, it doesn't matter whether I agree or not. Yeah. It's the law. Yeah. I don't have to agree with the way that taxes are regulated, um, I, I don't have to agree with whether or not I think it's fair and reasonable. It's the law. Yeah. It's the law. By the way, just a side note, only because this is one of my favorite passages, where I was talking about Peter and John being called before the Sanhedrin, and they were being challenged. <clears throat> I love how in verse 13, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's just a side note. That's for free. I love how, even in the context of being intimidated and and being threatened, and by the way, please don't don't forget the fact that their rabbi, their leader, had just been murdered by these same people six, seven weeks earlier. It's not like it's 20 years ago. This is is recent. This was like May. They, They still have a good memory of what they did to their leader. But there was a courage, and I love how it says, because they had been with Jesus. Anyway, our attitude towards authorities, we're back on track. So just file it away, we're back on track. Our attitude towards authorities, I want to take a look at three things that it should ultimately reveal. Firstly, it should discredit false accusations. It should discredit false accusations. You should never give someone a valid reason to accuse you of being unnecessarily divisive, unnecessarily Rebellious, unnecessarily defiant. 1 Peter 2 verse 15 says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Your honorable lives should silence foolish accusations, not confirm them. Our honorable lives. They're such jerks. They're so prejudiced. They're so racist. They're so bigoted. No, no. You, you should, we should be so kind, so patient, so sincerely loving. I don't mean like I'm a Christian on a Sunday and I can fake it till I make it sincere. I mean like legit when no one else is around, loving. When you're posting your opinion online, loving. When you're sharing with someone else in an unfiltered way your opinion, but actually there are other people in earshot, loving. I mean, I mean, where you don't just like. You don't just put on the impression of being kind and loving and dignifying all people. You actually allow God to do a work in your heart that you are kind and loving and patient and actually see dignity on every human being. Where you are known for your loving kindness. Where you are known for radical acts of generosity. Where, where even if we disagree with government or a politician or a policy, where it it can be done clearly, it can be done firmly, but it is still done honorably, where we address the issue, or even attack the issue, not the person. When we start attacking people and demeaning people, we are not honoring God, and this is one of my huge problems with the cultural moment that we've been living in for the last several years when it comes to social media is that, is that it's, it's not just that disagreement is communicated, there is disdain, there is hatred, there, there is so much demeaning of the individual. And make no mistake, there are people that I would disagree with and who I would, where I've got to allow God to do something in my heart in order to, in order to love and value because I so disagree with certain behaviors and choices and values. So what we're talking about, what Peter is addressing is not just how we put on a certain facade to look neat and tidy. No, no, our hearts should actually be so affected by God that even when we disagree vehemently over a policy, over a decision, even over a law, we don't hate the person. We don't wish the person to hell. We don't try and destroy them. In terms of their, you know, their, their, their humanity. It is arrogant of us to only narrow a person down to a point that we disagree with. That is not loving. Kyle Eidelman says that as the world becomes increasingly hostile, the church or followers of Jesus must become increasingly holy. Now again, that word holy has been misunderstood, and it's often pious, and it's often, and often for a lot of us would connote the idea of, of self-righteousness. But, but again, in, in this context, the word holy is, in spite of hostility, there should be increased holiness in the sense of difference, set-apartness, loving and patient and kind in the face of hatred and bitterness and hostility. What if people disagreed with Jesus' teachings but found it hard to hate his followers? Because of their humility, their love, their peace, their kindness, their generosity, what if they they weren't sure about the Bible or about Jesus or about his teachings, but but Christians make it really hard to dismiss him? I think many of us would grieve the fact that in many cases, people don't even get to hear or know or read about Who God is or what his views are because Christians have, in so many cases, put people off already. What if people felt accepted by Christians even though they know that not every value, every decision, every definition or description of morality is agreed upon? So even where there's disagreement, they still feel loved and accepted. I think it would make a difference. Secondly, our attitude towards authority should reveal our faith in our higher authority. See, what we so often miss is that I think we think that submission is all about justice and order, and, 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 and order is a part of it, and justice is a really nice to have a lot of the time, but actually submission more than anything else is actually us, us recognizing the order of things before God, where God is ultimately above all. That messes with our head and raises a lot of questions about things like God, like why would you, why would you allow the, the Third Reich to be in power and oversee the murder of millions of people? Or Why would you allow this? I mean, you can, there are so many. I don't understand why God allows the president of Syria to remain the president of Syria. I don't understand why God allows the, the people in power in, in, well, what was Sudan, now Sudan, and Southern Sudan to... To stay in power. I don't understand why God allows Vladimir Putin to stay in power. I don't have answers to these questions. But I can tell you that that our now again remember, remember, we we do not submit to authority when it when it defies God's authority. But but where where it's not doing that, submission to authority, saying, God, I'm actually trusting you above and beyond that person. If you know me well, you would know that I care deeply about justice. I am deeply disturbed by any form of injustice. Like, like it's a challenge to my heart. It's a point that I have to meet with God over regularly because of how angry and incensed I can get. Like, I can want to hurt people that hurt people. But then I'm hurting people that hurt, anyway. So I care deeply about injustice, but my faith in God is more important than my passion over injustice. And by the way, God cares more about justice than I ever could. So it's a faith issue that I'm actually... Anyway, our submission is actually to God. He goes on in verse 16 to say, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Some commentators suggest that the reason that Peter was addressing something that they would all pretty much agree with anyway was because these new believers had found, they were so deeply impacted by their new freedom found in Jesus that they realized that hey, actually I'm not not limited to my citizenship, I'm not limited to human authority, I am free in Christ. And again, he's writing in some cases to people that are also slaves. The slave context was a little bit different to to what we think of in the last kind of couple of hundred years. But, but nonetheless, they were slaves. So, so he's writing to people that are now facing this tension of, but I'm, I'm free, but I have to still like obey or submit, really. And, and so it's because of this tension, this complexity, that he was actually trying to address some of these issues. He goes on in verse 18 to say, you are slaves, but must submit to your masters with all respect. It doesn't mess with anyone's head, because it does with mine. Do what they tell you. This part really messes with me. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Okay, now hang in there. Okay, we lost two people. Hang in there. (laughs) Joking, they're going to the toilet. I know. Bad timing, but they're going to the toilet. Um, I have the advantage, which I don't always see it as an advantage. Sometimes it just irritates me because I'd like to just move on. But I have the advantage, the, the forced advantage, of because I've got to actually sit with this that I can't just move on from it. I've got to be honest, in my own personal capacity, passages like this, it's easier for me just to move on. So in a context like this, because I have to try and actually share on this and reconcile how this is messing with our heads in this context, I have a responsibility to sit with it and to and to try and under, to, to research, try and understand the context, etc. A couple of things that I think are worth noting. Number one, and this is perhaps the part that helps me the most. Peter was writing... To slaves, and he was addressing slaves. Next week, you'll see how he was writing to women and addressing women. It was mostly wives and mostly slaves. He wasn't; there weren't masters in these contexts in the church context that he was writing to. And it would appear as though in this context, there were very few husbands, very few men. So, he, so he's addressing women that are married to unbelievers, and he's addressing slaves that are still in in the context of having a master over them. The reason I'm saying that is because if I'm, let's put it this way, if I'm busy talking to or writing to teenagers, I'm going to address their attitude towards their parents. Re- and, and try and help them understand like how to respond when their parents are perhaps being unreasonable or whatever the case is, but, but, but again, unless it's immoral, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to, I'm going to explain to teenagers how to, or kids, how to honor your parents, how to obey, how to Do what they ask you to do, unless it's immoral. If I'm talking to parents, I'm gonna focus on scripture and say, don't frustrate your children. Don't try and dominate and control your children. Now think about that for a moment. For children to be mostly focusing on the part, on the advice that's been given to parents, is gonna cause a problem. And for a parent to take the advice that's been given to the child and to use that against them is gonna be manipulation and abusive. So it's really important that we know who he's talking to. And also, when we form doctrine, or when we form theology, we don't ever do it based on a single passage. We don't ever do it based on a single scripture. It has to be consistent with and interpreted throughout the rest of scripture. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God has never been okay with one person owning another person as though they are a piece of machinery or just an asset, never, and even though, so, so it's easy for us to have strong, and, and rightly so, the fact that we still live in a, in a society where there are still more people in slavery today than at any other point in history should bother us. Yeah. And so we can get worked up about that. But what about where we are employers or leaders, and people may not be in technical slavery, but there is manipulation and control and abuse. That's why it's a hot issue. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Peter is, is, is addressing slaves and, and, and the fact that they need to have their faith in God even when there is no reason to be having any faith in these masters. If he was talking to slave masters, I think he'd be telling them that they are in danger of going to hell. Sincerely. So it's important for us to understand that he's simply addressing the hearts of those that are in an inferior position, he's not condoning it. So for people, and, and I think that this has been done throughout history, where I think slave owners in the 1800s would, would take this passage and would use this to, to tell their Christian slaves why they have to submit to them no matter what. And I'm saying that, that that's the wrong context, that is abuse, that is evil. Does that help us? So in no way is he condoning slavery. He is not addressing slaveholders. He is is addressing the people that are in that position. He goes on, verse 19, for God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Does it mean that God wants them to experience unjust treatment? I would say no. I really don't think so. But he's talking about the their endurance, their faith, their trust, not because, of the, not because it's right, not because it's just, but because of God in this scenario. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. Again, this is provocative language, but I think he'd be saying, hey, if you are a slack employee, if you arrive late every day, if you do half the job, if you're always on social media when you're supposed to be getting other stuff done and you don't deliver, well, don't, don't, don't feel like a victim when you get fired. Or don't feel like a victim when you you know, or, or receive discipline. Don't go back to life group and say, sheesh, guys, I've been treated so unjustly. <laughs> no, you haven't. You've been a quiz. You should be fired or disciplined. That, d- don't feel sorry for yourself. You should feel rebuked in that context and make a change. Grow up. Is that too harsh? Okay. Father's Day, we'll, I'll be warm and fuzzy. All right. But if you suffer for doing good and endure patiently, God is pleased with you. Again, I'm, so, I'm very aware that that this triggers all kinds of extra questions. There, There are some great commentaries out there. All I'm trying to address, and I'm going to wrap up with the last point, is a heart attitude that I think is relevant for us today when facing opposition, persecution, disagreement, and in some cases, even injustice. Finally, number three, our attitude towards authorities should follow Christ's example. Now, for some of us, that's like, you're right. For others, it's like, are you kidding? Like, he was God. It, this, is, this is way too overwhelming and intimidating. And, and I get that, but I want you to remember that when Jesus was on earth, when he, when, he, when he was incarnated, when he became a human being, he put aside for that time. He put aside his, his superpowers, as it were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he healed people and walked water. Yeah, yeah, because he was trying to model what God could do through you and through me. That wasn't because he was the son of God. In fact, he said that, that going forward, you, referring to believers still coming, would do more than I've done. Yeah. There is nothing that Jesus did. Let that sink in. There is nothing that Jesus did that his followers do not have access to doing. So when, when you are encouraged to follow his example, it's because he showed a way. He showed that it is possible. So the last few verses. Verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Can we just pause there for a moment? <laughs> he did not retaliate when he was insulted. Anybody find that easy? Listen. If you have a backbone, that's not easy. I'm not talking about us needing therapy for other reasons, like why we just. I'm saying like, like when you know that this is wrong, this is unfair, this is unjust. it's like it is. That is hard. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he when he suffered. I don't know about you. If I was Jesus. Sorry, guys, you're seeing a lot of my humanity today, okay? I'm just being, I'm just trying, I'm just being real with here about, the, about my humanity, which I'm, need, which I'm needing God to keep working on. If I was Jesus, man, I'd be tempted to warn them of what's coming. Like, you can take me now. I've got, I, I, there's a reason why I need to die on the cross and why I need to do something. But just so you know, the time is coming because the reality is God, God will oversee vengeance, justice. It's not in the sense, but again, we're human beings. So for us, any sense of vengeance is driven by hatred, bitterness, ugliness. It's, with God, it's not like that. There's, so even the word vengeance, I think it's hard for us to get our heads around holistically. But, there's, but there is justice. One day there will be justice. And I'm just telling you, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, I know what's coming. You think you're big now. You think you're able to do this now. But just wait. One day. I'm going to stand there. So, guys, that's a big deal. Yeah. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case. Here's the, he the big part. He left his case in the hands of God, who, by the way, judges fairly. He judges fairly. And the message paraphrases, puts that section like this. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Verse 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. In other words, I think Peter's saying, hey, hey, just so you know, the things I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to do, calling you to do, you can do this because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Not only did he model compassion, grace, self-control. Self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit. Yes, it's a hard one. Not only that, but, but he also broke the power of sin over us, the power of human nature where we, where we say, well, I'm just a human, I can't help it. No, no. Remember, we're not slaves anymore. We are free to respond with kindness or grace or patience or faith in God. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Jesus could have retaliated when insulted. He didn't. Jesus could have threatened revenge when he suffered. He didn't. Instead, he left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Yeah. So here's here are my parting questions: How the worship team can come on up? How many? T- in fact, the whole worship team, because I want us to do that first song, because it's my favorite. We don't ever play it so we're gonna to play it today, hey? And it's Father's Day, so I get, apparently I get to do what I want, Sue says, okay. <laughs> so think about, I'm joking, I'm joking. So think about this. How many opportunities in the week ahead are you gonna to have to not retaliate? To not take offense? To not get offended? How many opportunities are you gonna have in the week ahead, even today maybe? Like some of you are thinking, Forget about tomorrow. I'm leaving here in an hour, and okay, not now, in a few minutes, and I've got I'm going to have opportunity to show some honour, even though there's so much disagreement. Just, just if I can just comment on that for a moment, as a side note, we're under no illusion that Father's Day is an incredible opportunity to celebrate dads in our lives. But I'm also very aware that there are many people for whom. There is what therapists would call a father wound, and and I I agree with it. I I think think it is serious because of neglect, abuse, abandonment, absence, etc. And so, even there, there is a tension between so so words mean different things to different people, and that's why sometimes, even even reading scripture, it matters what translation we're reading or whether or not we're reading comments on the original language because because words may mean different things to us. For me, there's a difference between respect and honor. I think the Bible uses it interchangeably, so just bear with me for a moment. For me, it helps me in my mind to differentiate between respect and honor. I do think that respect is earned. I think honor is given. I think respect, much like trust, trust has to be earned. Don't ever believe anyone telling you just to trust someone. No, no, trust has to be earned. If you've been abused and someone says, hey, I said, sorry, you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive me, Uh uh-uh. That's manipulation, that's control. No, no, they've broken trust. Trust has to be restored. So I'm just saying that there would be some of you sitting here, and in some cases, your father's passed away and there's still unresolved stuff, and and I'm sorry. I wanna encourage you that you can still disagree over things done, words said, choices made, or just a just sheer absence, you can, you can recognize that, you can forgive that. But for those of you that, are still, that still have contact with a father that has caused a lot of pain, I think it's still possible to honor that person in that we don't continue to try and make them pay their debt off, because that's the alternative. The alternative is to wanna to try and make that father pay their debt off when you're still living with, with some of the wounds caused by them. I'm not saying that you have to respect, I'm not saying you even have to trust, but I'm saying that that we can, with this heart, what are we talking about? We can honor in the in the words that we use. And I'm not talking about, flattery is a sin, by the way. So I'm not talking about blowing smoke. That's, no, no. I'm just saying it can be civil, it can be decent. You don't have to agree to accept. Is this making sense? Anyway. just think that we will have opportunities where our hearts will be checked at work at school at home and my encouragement to you is that when peter says to to look at the example of jesus i don't think it's just the example of what he endured and how he responded i think it's the example of how he lived so that he could respond with a heart of faith towards god and i am I am telling you that it is impossible to do what Peter has described. It is impossible to do what Peter has described in the face of real injustice, real offense, real oppression, real persecution, outside of living the way that Jesus lived. where where he would take time out to be with his father, to have his identity reminded, to have have the love of the father reminded, to have his security strengthened, to to have his sense of purpose strengthened, so that he could deal with an injustice while knowing that there's a bigger picture that God is in control of. Outside of slowed down, strengthening, encouraging, recurring time with God, everything I've just spoken about, is impossible. Slowing down, spending time with God, allowing Him to encourage, to remind, to to just strengthen us, anything's possible. Anything's possible. And so that's the invitation. Whether whether you've never made that first decision to enter into a relationship with God, you can do that today. It is a decision to accept His forgiveness and to choose to follow. But my concern is actually mostly for Christians that are Christians and that we would tick a box, but where we but where we neglect or forget that we have the source of life available to us. And unless this isn't about what we believe, this is about us actually being with God and and carving out space regularly to allow Him to do in our hearts what only He can do. It's not just academic, it is not just about justice and fairness, it is about. God consistently helping us to identify what love looks like in a hard-to-love scenario. What honor looks like in a hard-to-honor scenario. I'm just saying we need God.